This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. Hope you're well. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. The conversation I have prepared for you features Matt Whale and Braden Dawson from the Melbourne-based outfit The Ascended. Matt is the vocalist, guitarist, and you'd call him the spokesperson without a doubt. But uh, Braden added some value to the conversation as well. He's the bassist. Pleasure to chat to these two lads. I enjoyed it a lot, actually. It's uh, a great sign for the future stocks of Australian heavy metal when the likes of Matt and Braden are doing their thing. The catalyst for the conversation is due to the new album from the lads. It'll be out in September 17. It's titled The Dark. So let's get stuck into it. Matt Whale and Braden Dawson in conversation. Let's go. The new album is called The Dark and it is out on September 17, if I'm not mistaken. And yep. look, I've got to tell you, lads, that my take on the album is that if Matt, Matt Heafy had continued the sterling songwriting that he demonstrated on Ascendancy, <laughs> the Crusade and Shogun, it could sound a little like you guys because, to be honest with you, he's really dropped the ball over the last decade or so as far as I'm concerned. But is that... Would you describe the sound that you've conjured on on the dark as something similar, Matt? I, I take it you've got an opinion on this, given man, you know, it's just there. Yeah, it's, it's so funny because we've just filled out and um, do it for another blog. We're doing a um, like a inspirations for each member, and mm. I literally just wrote it today about how ascendancy changed my life, and that Matt Heafy himself uh, is where I draw a lot of inspiration. So it's funny that you say that because our first record, everyone was you know you're a Trivium 2.0, Australia's answer to Trivium. And I actually thought that we kind of departed away from that a little bit on this record, <laughs> but it's obviously still in our roots. It's still within me and that inspiration still coming out. So like, it's not intentional, but it's certainly the biggest influence for me in terms of music is yeah. Um, trivium. Yeah. Well, you know what I think it is. The rhythm's a killer. You've nailed the essence of what he got right back in the early two thousands. And, um, Instead of going for a straight-up drum beat, you've got to bounce to your groove. That's your distinctive capability as a band. You've got this wonderful bounce going on. And I know for you, Braden, that's probably something that's probably your stock and trade. But, um, look, did you have to write hard, work hard to achieve that rhythmic groove that you've got going on? Because it's fairly unique. Um, Brad, I think that's all for us. Something yeah, that yeah, I would agree. It's something not consciously, you know, think about we've got to write that way, but something we know about is that we have the groove, we have that bounce, we have the ability to get get that, you know, that that groove going. And so we're lucky in that we don't have to think about it. We just that's going to happen. I think a sound like our songwriting process is all centered around the riff. So if the, if the riff doesn't hook you in. Then, then we've we've not done our jumps properly. Yeah, well, you've done a bloody good job at that, I can tell you, because I think that um, Matt is a tremendously talented frontman. He actually reminds me, and it's a complete parallel that will not make sense, I'm sure, but Daniel Johns, in that the early material is just boss, but everything they've done after the second or third album, in his case, the fourth third album. It's the fourth album, Shogun. Shogun just doesn't, there, yeah. yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense for my years. I'm an old school metal fan, and I thought he was going to change the genre. To be honest with you, so when I hear a band like you guys come up with something that has the DNA 
And that's the key point here, the DNA, and it's intact. I love to see where you guys, where you're going to end up, as great as the dark is. I'm excited for where you guys are going to go to. So here's the here's a weird question. The album hasn't been released yet, but have you got something planned for some, something next, you know, another album afterwards, or is, is there enough in the Riff Vault for you to do that? Big question. That's a big question. Um, no, the Riff Vault... I guess is is empty if you will and uh, it hasn't started to be replenished yet because obviously it's early days with this record and all of the focus is getting prepared to be able to play this record and all the back end stuff um mm. but you know there it's safe to say it's likely that there will probably be another record I mean we will always make music together in some capacity we've always said that because at the core of it we love making music together um so yeah look there'll there'll likely be another record down the track but you know we're not thinking about that yet yeah it's uh, a silly I think question as well, like, I know, sorry sorry you go you go mate you go right uh like we're we're at a point where sort of it's like a turning point for all of us like we're all getting to the point where like is it is it worth continuing on and with with the way that things are at the moment it's all sort of a bit questionable um as to what the future will bring but as matt said like we'll always keep writing music so i have no doubt in my mind that further albums will come down the track even if you know we have to scale the touring back yeah yeah yeah, I, I just enjoy what you guys do. And uh, look, I know I know I got some feedback the other day that I'm a bit too earnest on my podcast, but I don't give a shit. If I like what I'm hearing, I like what I'm hearing. And I always yeah, give yeah. very positive feedback. And that way, in in regards to I get so many opportunities to interview uh, musicians, artists, bands, I just don't interview the musicians and artists who I'm not enjoying. It's that simple. Just to give people out there fair listening enough. a bit of yeah, a bit of insight into why it is that I'm so so positive about a band like you guys, insofar as what you've conjured here on the dark. But um, what about um, the solos? Hmm. They're a thing of beauty. Um, how, do Matt, do you conjure some of those solos? Is that is that your job there, or is it your guitarist there? Yeah, so it's me. Um, so the solos are. It's a, it's a weird one. We don't do them in every song. It's where it fits. So um, it's it's certainly where needed. Uh, it's the hardest thing for me to do, man. It's the absolute hardest thing for me to do. I'm more of a rhythm player, so I you know I write all those rhythms, and that's really where I kind of excel. I believe is is a rhythm guitar player, and to be able to write those play solos but it's not my forte so for me i actually write the solos in the studio and our producer uh is a good guitar player or he's a great guitar player and a good friend of ours and so between him and i i kind of sit there and just jam bits and he's like you know what about try this and and whatnot so they're pretty much made in the studio um and not something that i ever sit down and you know jam and bust my ass over before the studio i certainly never think of it i just go guitar solo there we'll work it out so yeah Man, great job. Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing like it's so interesting what you say there about you being more rhythmically focused because let's face it, James Hetfield is probably one of, I mean, he's, I mean, name a greater heavy metal guitarist than James Hetfield. Yet his solos always are fantastic. They're so tasty. Yeah, and look, you can you can do them and, and they're great. And I, it's not that, you know, we can't solo every song. It just doesn't need to be there. And when it does, we like it to, to make a point uh, and so I like to think that we've achieved that uh, with with what we've done. Matt, who who inspired you then? Because I, I love the solos on here. The rhythms are great, but I'm also a solo guy as well. You know, I got my, I was a kid. I loved Ingvay, that sort of thing. So who are you listening to that gave you the inspiration behind some of these classic solos that you put down? Oh man, honestly, like I 
I couldn't pick an inspiration, but if I did, it would it would have to be some of the older style and simpler style in terms of techno, um, you know, technique wise, in terms of like the Metallicas and things like that, where it's it's not I'm not a you know thrashy shred guitarist sweeping and doing things fast. And I guess that's a difference in our solos is that we play, you know, upbeat metalcore. Uh, but I don't shred solo over it. I just play your pentatonic kind of scale and just and just jam that. And I guess, you know, that's a classic kind of uh, Metallica. Kirk Hammett loves to, you know, work in that realm. He obviously does a lot more as well. But, you know, he goes back to that. And I guess when I was doing a lot of solos and stuff, it was learning the solos from Metallica songs. And mm. so I guess when I come to write a solo, I just automatically go back to that. Sweet. Yeah. Now, now, Braden, for you, I love the bass sound that you've achieved on here. Is that a dark glass sound that you've got there? How did you know? Um, yeah, it's <laughs> it's a mixture of the um, the Dingwall NG2 and combustion um, guitars, and then I use an X7 microtubes amp as well, or the pedal, and it just roars, absolutely roars. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's killer. It's a great sound. And when you were, were you present for the mixing or, or not the mixing, sorry, the mastering and the like where the bass could come to the fore or, or, or a better question is who did, who did you get to master the album? Um, so the album was mixed by Adam B Metal and we had a little bit of movement in the mix. Um, Adam's really bass focused. He loves to listen to some bass and, and Matt and I will always have this argument, you know, <laughs> there's got to be more bass for me and not less bass for Matt. So it's always just that back and forth. But uh, the mastering itself was done at Crystal Mastering in Melbourne. And uh, while we weren't able to be up there because of lockdowns and stuff like that, they were absolutely phenomenal hearing the masters back and just seeing everything, including the bass, just sit in its perfect spot. Yeah, indeed. What, what about yeah. you, mate? Is it the old uh, Steve Harris, David Ellison, Cliff Burton combination that inspired you? I didn't get into bass playing until I was in my early 20s. Um, I was a drummer beforehand, so I had a really good feel of, of rhythm. But for me, it's it's just been... Uh, Cliff definitely is a is a huge inspiration. Um, just the way he can weave it, the bass through his fingers is incredible. But for me, it's Troy Sanders of Mastodon because mm. he just he lays such a solid foundation and then just sits in the groove. You know, he's right in the pocket, and then he'll pop out and let his presence known when it needs to be. Yeah, yeah, I've spoken to him, by the way, and I think off off microphone I said to him, how do you do the Bob Daisley thing that you do? And he's like, hey, it's the Bob Daisley thing. You know, it's just James Jamison. It comes down to being a soul basis. That's really it. It's just about the groove. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Yeah, touching on the bass from my point of view, so when Braden's saying, you know, mm. I want little, you know, I want less, and Braden wants more. <laughs> he's defending it. Uh, I'm not defending it. I'm actually going to go in the favour of, is, of um, you know, that the bass is really audible in this record, and that's not something that is the case for a lot of uh, metal bands. You know, sure. you know the bass is is there, but ours is really audible, really clear. You can hear the bass riffing along, and you know a lot of the time it's just, just the bass is there for presence. But this record, you're really hearing the riffing of the bass, uh, and I and I really like that. You know. I did struggle to find the right balance that I was happy with, um, but you know I think we've got it in terms of you can really hear what Braden's doing and I really love that. So yeah, it's once again, as you know, with, with a lot of things to do with this whole record is that we're just trying to do things differently. And, um, you know, in terms of our peers and what's out there in general uh, for the, our genre. Um, and I feel, yeah, it's up this, what we're doing, the base is something different. So. 
Sorry, lads, my internet connection is absolute balls tonight. I appreciate you can probably hear me, but, yeah, it just keeps on cutting out for me. So if I interrupt you and say these things, it's not because I mean to. It's just this fucking yeah, internet right. connection. Yeah, I've, never, I've done 600 interviews or something like that, and I've never had it this bad as it is tonight. You guys are frozen on my screen right now. But, um, but look, we'll forge on regardless. But, um, look, Look, you do have a killer run of shows with Desecrator and Harlot, and I've spoken to both Riley and Andrew, tremendous fellas, by the way. I've spoken to both years ago as well, and just so great to see that that they've developed into what I feel is two of the most important and essential heavy metal bands in the country. And for you guys to get that co-sign, to be frank, puts you in that bracket as well especially after listening to the quality of The Dark, especially, and I made this point a few times, Dicey does not fuck around. He simply mm. does not He does not have bands and musicians on board that don't know what's going on. So, I mean, you guys are part of that next generation of what's coming through. So I'm very excited to hear what you guys come up with, and I seriously hope to be at that gig down there at Moe's because I'm a Gold Coaster. So I'd love to be down there at Mars ah, when nice. you guys can do that, you know. But yeah, the, the, nice. to be honest with you, the likelihood of that happening is about slim to none. Let's face yeah. it. <laughs> but but let let me broaden the question or the statement by asking your question, which is mm-hmm. that look, so much is outside of your control at the moment. Uh, but tell me, if you had to name your ultimate tour lineup, where would you go and who would be on the bill? Oh, are we talking Australia or just in general? Take your pick. Oh, man, I think for for me, it'd be, you know, uh, True Human As They Lay Dying, you know, and Us would be, a, I, I think that'd be sick. I think it'd be amazing. And they're two of my biggest influences uh, for music. And I also feel that we could actually play on that lineup and, and fit. So I think that that's important too. So I think that, you know, that would be a sick lineup. Yeah. Well, what about you, Braden? Do you echo those sentiments or have you got other ideas? Uh, yeah, look, look, look um, I, I've always been a realist from day one. And, and while it'd be amazing, like we had the opportunity to do Japan um, a couple of years ago, and I never in my wildest dreams thought that that was ever going to ever going to happen so you know i sort of take it as it comes but for me it's it's any big show at the corner hotel in melbourne it's always been the dream to play there i don't know why it's just something about bass players and the post that's in front of you blocking your view of the audience but yeah we had it at the hometown they've got it at the corner and i just yeah it's just been the dream because i saw caval attack there years ago and they were phenomenal let me ask you this question then, because I brought it up a few times on the podcast, but Melbourne is the hotspot, the epicenter of Australia's, uh, I don't know whether the Australian music scene in general, because, you know, ACDC and Excess, they come from other places, but certainly in the last 20 or 30 years, Melbourne's really truly been it. Uh, completely different mm-hmm. to you guys, but Kylie, you know, I mean, I'm talking about success here too, by the way, not just music merit, if you understand my point here. Yeah. But... Or just about all of the killer metal bands that I've spoken to have come from Melbourne over the last sort of two to three years. Is there anything in the water down there or is it something else? I don't know. That's a, that's a good point. I would. The only thing I can think of is the, uh, the accessibility um, 
to, to not only like, you know, form a band, but to be able to play. You've got so many options. You've got so many bands, so many shows going that there's such a vehicle to that you can hop onto and really drive a product. And I don't know of any other scene that really has as much going on as Melbourne does. Cause I know, you know, Sydney's really struggled up and down through having live music in general. And then you start to branch out to your smaller cities. So Melbourne's just always had that constant you know, vehicle that's moving with music. And I think that that really plays a part in it. Yeah, I wonder why though, because it's, I've been down to Melbourne a couple of times and I do, I do enjoy going down to Melbourne when I can, of course, outside of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what's it? Is it Cherry Bar? And there's one other, but we don't, there's nowhere else in Australia like that except for maybe Frankie's Pizza, which has just been a recent mm-hmm. sort of a thing mm-hmm. in Sydney. But we don't have yeah. anything like that in Brisbane, for example. And for a while there in Brisbane, it was the epicenter of Australian music with Powderfinger, Custard, Regurgitator. Uh, there was heaps of bands that were coming out here at that time, but Melbourne has just been the mainstay, hasn't it? And and I just hmm. it's 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 a question that I think is impossible to answer, but I'll keep on asking yeah. because I get most of my audience is overseas, of course, and to yeah. give them some insight into what's actually going on in Australia. But so many killer metal bands have just come out of Melbourne lately. I mean, there's there's you guys, there's your two tour compatriots there and Harlot and Desecrator. Um, but even beyond that, a Bremelin, Destroyer 666, there's a killer band right there mm. who, who sort of have become probably one of Australia's most successful Australian heavy, the most successful Australian heavy metal band in terms of reach in the last 20 years, 25 mm. years or so. So, yeah, it's just one of those questions that I, that I ask just to sort of try to give people insight. But let me switch topics a I little think bit. It's, I think it's – Here you go. You I think it's the comp- yeah, I think it's the competitive aspect as well. Um, like there are so many bands trying to vie for that space. So at the same time, while there's, there's so many venues and so many uh, options for bands to play, it's also very competitive. And it's a matter of, of trying to be at a certain level to, uh, to achieve a certain tier within the Melbourne scene. So, yeah, mm. it's absolutely I think that the competitive nature of Melbourne means that there's a high quality of, of music all around. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. And do you, do you, in your experience, do you all swap band members? Like, have you had members from other bands join your band, and you guys, ex members, have joined other bands? Is that what's is that something that's common? We um, we've been back and forth, like little little stage cameos and stuff like that. But the four of us um, aren't actually from Melbourne. We're sort of more regional, so we sort of mm-hmm. we stick together because of that. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Who are you guys selling most of your merch to and your your physical copy to? Like in terms of whereabouts, is it the US or in Australia? Uh, definitely Australia. We've got a couple of uh, uh, fans and whatnot, um, you know, overseas, but definitely Australia is our biggest biggest audience and biggest kind of uh, yeah. We sell a lot and uh, to Australia pretty much. So um, yeah, we just really have a good connection with the Australian scene. What about your Spotify audience? Do you get that breakdown of where people are listening from? Uh, I'm sure we do. I haven't looked at it in a while, but if I remember rightly, the States does come up quite often. Check it out because I've made this point many times on the podcast, so old listeners, long-time listeners tune out. But my uh, domestic, my, my overall audience share is growing, thankfully, but my domestic audience share, not just on a percentage basis, but on a listenership basis, is shrinking. 
Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know why that is, and I, I don't seem to be able to control it, but it's something, it's like less than 10% at the moment. It's up there with my listenership from, say, Holland or somewhere like that. Right. <laughs> I'm from Australia. So, but yeah. I tend to find that the Australian uh, acts, you, you, when you start to get that sort of success, that happens. You start to get a dwindling dwindling domestic share. People tune out because you're successful overseas or something. And I wonder if that'll happen for you guys. Jeez. I mean, I'd be happy to be more successful <laughs> overseas. So <laughs> we don't want to try and retain, obviously, uh, yeah, what we've got in Australia. But, yeah, I think uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I guess I wouldn't say surprised, but, like, I would think that, you know, our sound is more suited to, you know, those overseas markets. Um, but, yeah, you know, it is it is what it is. And I think at the same time, like we've got our audience in Australia is fantastic, but being able to get a, a bigger reach, like I'm just pulling Airborne as, as the perfect example because where we came from the same hometown as Airborne. So um for us, seeing them be able to break through the Australian market and then you know settle themselves overseas, it just goes to show that maybe as metal isn't the highest priority in Australia's media. And, and as, a, as a result, we've got to build from scratch. And it's funny you use Airboy as an example because they have a much bigger audience overseas than they do in Australia by far. Mm. So could be onto something. They do. They have a massive audience overseas. It's like um, Rose Tattoo, though, are like a top 10 band in Germany and Holland and Belgium and these places. crazy, man. And you're like, what the fuck? Like, I, I love those guys. I truly do. But, like, I remember them in, like, you know, when when Angry did the Neighbours song suddenly. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like I remember them recently, but they go, like, their tours, I think their bankable tours are overseas. They've got the relationship with Axel, of course, because Guns N' Roses covered uh, Nice Boys on uh, the Lies um, and live album EP that they did back in 88, I think it was, well, thereabouts are 89. But, I mean, outside of that, like, how the, their success is offshore, it's just so odd that we get this situation where mm. some of our brightest stars aren't popular here. They're popular offshore. And I'm sure that's the same elsewhere too, I suppose, you know, but being Australia, we sort of sort of, kind of in some, you know, six degrees of um, Kevin Bacon is it six degrees or whatever it is, you know, Kevin Bacon's on a way know everybody, but it's weird to sort of see people you kind of know being more successful overseas. But that, yeah. that leads to another question, though, and I've got to ask this because I enjoy I enjoy finding out this side of things about the way you guys do things, but the social media game. Okay, so the first mm-hmm. question would be, do you guys have to pay for a lot of ads in order to get reach? Um, yes. Yeah, you do. Uh, we can you play you don't have to but you it's they Facebook make it that you kind of need to you know you can't just drop a video and not do something uh, and certainly at our level um, you can't just drop a video and leave it to go organically you really need to be putting money into it to get it in front of people's faces it's just the way it is mm. yeah yeah, on that front, I've noticed that if you don't spend the money, your reach declines. So you're obligated to spend money when you're in a business like you are. Yeah, and it's not that you're, you're not paying for an audience. You're paying to unlock the audience you've already gathered. That's the exactly. thing. Exactly. You know? <laughs> so so true. I'm so glad you said that. That is yeah. so true, mate. Yeah, yeah. I know it's it's look. I consider, as any reasonable person, I believe should that social media companies so. 
dividing them into the big three. So Twitter's being one, Google and YouTube are, are the other, Instagram and Facebook are the third pillar because they're the same company. But mm-hmm. if you're not, like they're utilities is my point. Okay, so if you have a, remember, oh, you know, go back 30 years ago, if you didn't have a phone line, you couldn't run a business. Yeah. You can't run a business and a band is a business in 2021 if you don't have a Facebook page or an Instagram presence, et cetera. So I don't understand how they're not considered the same way and they're totally immune from basically litigation, to be honest with you, and, um, you know, what was the word, corporate grandstanding in the way that they can limit a band's opportunity. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about bands. That's why I say a, band, a band's reach. So if you've got 5,000 followers... Why? Why can they, from a traders from from for just from a trading perspective, why can they limit your reach to say twenty of those five thousand followers? But they do. We know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous, man. I don't. It's just the game that you accept now. I don't go into you know. I don't get bogged down by it. It's just it's the world we're in. Because um, if you sit there thinking thinking about it you're not doing it and we in the music industry you got to be doing you know so we just do it and, and at the end of the day like they're a business too so it's it's their way of making yeah, money houses playing shows <laughs> yeah playing shows and selling cds but theirs is just digital a, a digital billboard essentially it's getting, it's and you're paying for that though. it's getting worse though you're now paying the same amount for less results and it's so clear like you're mm-hmm. paying the same amount to get less than you did 12 months ago it's that's bullshit but you know what sure. platform works for you guys though is it facebook or insta we pretty much do everything through facebook we've got insta we've got all the rest and we use them but we only ever spend money into facebook it's got the biggest audience uh it's the one that you know, I feel most people, are, everyone's connected on on Facebook. Uh, I don't use Insta myself. I'm sure there's others that don't. So it's it's definitely Facebook for us, which I know they're the of, same company. But Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. It's the same bloody thing. That's the problem that I've got is that you can't pay one and it doesn't reach across both. But, of course, why would they do that when they, when they can double dip? But yep. for, for, for a band like you guys that are trying, you've got, you've got a great, excuse me for calling it a music product, but you know what I mean. We're mm-hmm. talking about the business side of things here. And you've gone to the effort with the video that you put out there. So as the video, as, as it, when, when I talk about expectations, where you're looking to just make a killer video that you hope connected with people, where you're looking for it to reach a particular audience and has it done that? Um, so I think the video speaks for itself in that we, we created what we wanted to, to kill a video. Um, and then we put it out there and it didn't reach, like it did, it did pretty well. Like it did very well, but it didn't hit the same targets that our previous single shadow Walker from 2019 did for the same budget. And that's what mm. is not, a, you know, it doesn't sit well with me. Uh, I, you know, I fucking hate that. Uh, because obviously, you know, you want to increase and do better every single. So you want to see those numbers increase, but it just wasn't the case. Now, whether it's me out of the game on using social media and, you know, it's always changing the way Facebook works and the algorithms and, and whatnot, or it's just simply that, you know, your money's going not as far, which is probably a combination of both. But, you know, in terms of numbers, yeah, they weren't as high as the previous single. and whatever reason that is, it's, it comes down to the platform changing. You know? It must be the algorithm, though. 
to your point, because it's not like you guys have become a worse band. Your music, to be frank, is it's it's leaps and bounds from where you started. Mm. I mean, this this release here, this release here is is look, I'll be surprised if it doesn't make my top ten to top ten at the end of the year. It's an extremely strong album that is well thought out, very, very well recorded. There's the key thing. And it should connect with people. So, mm. so much of what you guys are trying to achieve, to be frank, and I hate to break your spirits here, not that I'm trying to, <laughs> but it's out of your hands. Do, do you yeah, feel the same way? Yeah, absolutely. We we know we've got a good product behind this. We, we, we really believe in this record and we know if we can get to people, that people will connect with it and really dig it. And we've seen that with the, you know, when we, do get uh, the song out there when people do start connecting with it. We see that in terms of, you know, Spotify figures, sales figures from places that and people that we are not uh, connected to, you know, that we know of. You know, they are just coming out of the woodwork and new fans. It'll come back on. Sorry, my, my camera does that. Uh, um, half an hour. So, yeah, look, it's we know we've got a good product. It's getting into people's hands is the hardest part, and that's the game. That's the hardest part of the game in the music is getting it into people. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's the capturing the attention because, you know, it's, it's, it's so over in a flash, that opportunity that you have to be able to connect with the audience because there'll be something new in, in 15 seconds. So that whole having your own 15 minutes of fame, that's gone. That the time of that is, is well gone. We, we live in a, an instantaneous changing of one's attention. So we've, we've got to make it land. Yeah, yeah, the old Andy Warhol thing that you have 15 minutes of guaranteed attention and if a camera's on you, take it. Yeah, those days uh, you, you might get that 15 minutes of attention, but you might get three viewers. Yeah. So great. Yeah. Who gives a shit, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's, um, it's such an interesting time for – Let's talk about metal. It's such an interesting time for metal from the perspective that I don't feel as though we've lived through a time where there has been the amount of quality releases that we've had access to as listeners myself. You know, when in terms of stuff that I'm being sent, I get sent. I'm literally at the point where I get sent maybe 100 new releases of various descriptions a week. Yeah, wow. And I try to listen to everything. It's very hard, believe mm -hmm. me. I mean, outside of giving things a five-second burst, which I don't think you can, sitting in bed, see if I can stream it or whatever it might be, but everything sounds really cool. And it's like, at what point do we hit critical mass where people's, I mean, people's attention spans, as we know, have gone the way of the dodo. And uh, it's either got to be blood and gore, very sexy, you know, lots of lovely women, uh, if you're a red-blooded male like what I am or God knows what else, you know. Um, but how do you keep people's attention? And that is the question, I suppose. So have you guys got, have you guys talked about that in terms of doing just quick video clips or um, Instagram reels and all that sort of stuff that can capture people's attention and draw them into music? Because the, the actual music is there, but it's actually mm -hmm. capturing people's attention that is the key. Yeah, so just touching back uh, a little bit before in terms of, you know, such quality, it's something that I say to, to the guys all the time and um, is that the age of the rock star is over. We're never going to see a band as big as your Metallicas, as big as your, you know, your big fours, your, your Parkway Drives. It's probably, you know, towards the last biggest band that is really going to be your arena-style band. That's, that's what I believe. I don't think you're going to see another band that can headline those arenas for a long time. Um, the age of the rock star is over simply because there is so much. 
Um, you know, there's bands that will break through and do fantastically, but your rock star band, your rock star status, I feel like that age is over. Um, and so in terms of capturing the attention of the of, of people and keeping things alive, that's something that we have thought about a lot with this record in terms of how do we keep this album alive for 12 months, you know, 12 to 18 months. So there's something to engage with people all the time and it doesn't just drop and, you know, disappear. And so we've got plans. We're going to... Um, we're going to release six singles. So on this off this record, we're going to do six singles. Uh, there'll probably be three film clips and nice. three lyric videos. So you know, every two to three months, there will be a new single. Um, a to keep the content up, and B, we just think that there's six songs that bloody well deserve the limelight. Um, and then you know, we'll do a vinyl. We plan to do a twelve month mark. Do a vinyl nice. re- a vinyl issue, and just things like that that just keep the content flowing, so that every two to three months we can make a big deal about the record, redraw in the audience, get a new audience coming in over that 18-month period. And so that's uh, our plan and something that we have thought about a lot um, in terms of, yeah, keeping the content because that's what's important. It's content that people can engage with. Um, so it's definitely something we thought about. Braden, your thoughts? I just, I don't know, it sounds so cynical, but with with the way that the industry is in terms of capturing one's attention, I do question sometimes whether we miss the boat because I look back at the, the, the music that I listen to on a regular basis and these bands have been around for 15, 20 years, whereas us, you know, we're, we're probably in our sixth or seventh year, something like that, and and to get as far as we have is fantastic, but, you know, in in their time, six or seven years would have gotten them a lot further than than what we've got now. And I, mm-hmm. I, I just, I'm not vengeful or angry because we've we've hit this point, but I do question like if we'd done it a little earlier, how different would it have been? And that comes down to the quality that's out there. Like you're saying, Andrew, is that there's so much good stuff out there. You know, versus 15, 20 years ago, you know, you do what we're doing or what, a, you know, a heap of other bands are doing. You stand out like dog's balls because you are doing something, you know, so good uh, for lack of a better term. So that's yeah. modest. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'll tell you what, you know, the thing about modesty is that I've noticed that, like, you know, the meek shall inherit the earth doesn't necessarily ring true. And I, look, I'm a... these days I work for the Uniting Church and it's not that I'm Christian in my day-to-day, but it does form a great part of my philosophy. And don't get me wrong, I love all the Satan shit too. You know what I mean? I've interviewed Eric Danielson from Watain, so there you go. (laughs) But but the the point is is that there's, there's almost a necessity for an element of bravado in the way that these rap guys and these so-called urban Mm -hmm. artists, you know, they pitch their product and it's like, well, I can't tell the difference between what you mumble rappers and whatever else are doing. It doesn't make any sense to me either way. I'm a rock guy, I'm a metal guy, that's what I understand. But, you know, I, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a, a rock or a metal band that isn't quite so modest and it just doesn't really exist in our genre, does it? It would be so it would it would be so off-brand for what we are. You'd almost be in limp biscuit territory, wouldn't it, before you started bragging about how good your band yeah. is, but but at least you guys have got the chops. Where if you started to do that, not I'm saying to do that, but if you started to do that, you might get an audience. <laughs> See, man, it's funny you say that because when the album drops and the press release with the album comes out, we've got a bit of a mission statement coming with it. That's not mm. necessarily bragging, but it's taking the spin that you know we're taking back this genre of old school metalcore. You know, you 
you know, trivia MCQ, so it's that 2005 era and that word metalcore. Nice. We're, we're yeah. kind of putting it out there that, you know, bands that are calling themselves metalcore now, you know, they wouldn't fit in the actual term of what metalcore was. And, you know, we're trying to take that genre title back because we find ourselves in genre limbo. You know, what are we? If we say that we're metalcore, you've got people that listen to, um, I'm not going to name any bands, but listen to, you know, modern metalcore and, and would say to, you know, we don't fit that. And, you know, we're not quite thrash. So we don't have a home anymore because that genre has been, you know, taken over. So we're kind of, you know, going to war a little bit uh, over over metalcore. Yeah, very articulate, mate. I've got to tell you. Yeah, because I love what you guys are doing from the perspective that, especially now that you framed it that way, because that was a very special era for metal, 2005, mm. because oh. back then it was just coming out of the shadows. I'm yeah. 43, so I went through Faith No More, Megadeth, Primus, Morbid Angel. I still love those bands, by the way. I'm simply saying what I got into when I was 13 and 14. I distinctly remember meeting like like English and American metal fans in, in the city streets in like 1999 and they had Metallica and T-shirts and they're like, where do we go to listen to the music that we love? And I said, go home, yeah. meaning go home and put in a CD, not go home home, but that's it. That's all you've got. Listen to a Walkman back then or what have you because there was no places for you to enjoy this music. And I've said this repeatedly that, that like I appreciate what black metal did, you know, I, death metal. Or it kept the genre, it was underground, it kept it going. But if it wasn't for Metalcore, especially that Metalcore you're talking about, like the first Kill Switch Engage album, mm. Metal wouldn't have come out of the shadows and been introduced to the mainstream. Yeah, man. That's the key thing, I think. Yeah, that 2005 to 2008, there are just some records that will just never be topped. They're, you know, they change the game records. You know, they'll, they don't go down as, as big as, you know, the Black Album and all that kind of stuff that changed you know, I guess the whole entire genre. But, you know, there's some great records amongst that three-year period that really, really formed what modern metal has become. What were your favourite albums from that era? Uh, well, you know, you, Ascendancy, anything from the bands, um, Trivium, As I Lay Dying, Killswitch, All That Remains, um, those kind of bands that are kind of for me at the top all the records that they put out in that era. So probably all only put out one, maybe two of some of them. Can't off the top of my head name them, but obviously, you know, Ascendancy and things like that. Um, those bands, um, that era, that's 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 metalcore for me. That's that's it. I, I'll never forget the first time I heard August Burns Red. Yes. Yeah, they are okay. in there too. Yeah, and, and I remember thinking, shit's changed. But mm -hmm. they never took off. They never went anywhere. And I didn't yeah. understand that because the first time I heard them is an old school long hair, cannibal corpse, morbid angel, deicide, obituary, carcass guy. First time I heard them, I was like, oh, I get it. Shit's, shit's shifting. Like these mm. guys have taken what has been built and they're going, rightio, lads, come with us. We're going to a new direction. And I know they were, they were criticised as being Christian or whatever it might be or whatever the fucking thing was that sort of basically stopped them in their tracks. But I thought when I listened to them, I, I can still hear elements of what they were doing in, say, the era that you're talking about, 2005 to 2008, in what bands are doing right now. Mm. So it's interesting, isn't it? There are these bands that influence the influences that never get credit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that era will never be beaten. And so that's why, you know, that's, that's metalcore for me. And so that's why we're like, we're trying to, you know, not brag, but just say that, you know, we're bringing that back and we also want to take that genre back with us. Please keep doing that then. Yeah, seriously, because that's that's where it's at. I mean, 
it's not about being retro or being backward looking. It's about, like what I said up top, the DNA. It's intact. You haven't fucked with it. It's mm. right there. So people who, but like the thing is, there, there are 14-year-olds right now. So what year is it? They're born in sort of 2012 or 13 or whatever the hell, you know, and they're listening to the crusade. Yeah. or the ascendancy or what have you, and that's the shit for them. They're getting in and go, whoa, this is, and where do they go to from there? My point is, hey, listen to what the ascendant's doing. Here we go. This is mm. where it's at. And you can carve out your own niche doing that because I do think, musically speaking, it, it is a lot like that. And, and Braden, do you have any thoughts you want to weigh in on, on that point? Yeah, the, the niche is just such an important part of of the music industry at the moment. You, you look at some of the bigger bands coming out of Australia at the moment, like the, the two that instantly come to mind for me are Dr. Colossus and 12 Foot Ninja, both fantastic bands in their own right that have carved their own, their identity based on this particular niche. And and I, I would like to think that we have the ability to be able to, to do some carving of our own because um, I think we, we've made something really good here that I want a lot of people to listen to. I, I hope it happens. And I've had a chat to Jono from Dr. Colossus and he's a, he's a great bloke and they're a killer band. But I, I do, I mean, it's it's not like we're going through a renaissance. I think the renaissance happened about five or six years ago when bands like Die Art is Murder and um, Aversion's Crown and uh, mm. Harlot and all those sort of bands started to come through. And it's not about genre. It's about heavy metal, heavy metal getting noticed by people who are getting drawn into it from the periphery. That's the key thing to your point there about Dr. Colossus and some of these other killer bands. So, lads, I'll wrap things up, but I will say mm. I'm going to give you guys a last word. What do you want people to, if I haven't asked a question that you feel I should have asked or I didn't ask, now's your chance. Tell me, what do you want people to know about you guys? Um, this this record of ours has got something for everyone. I want, yeah, I just want to put that out there. That this has something for everyone. There is, you know, there's your melodic choruses, there's your harsh vocals, there's heavy stuff, there's, uh, you know, there's even some lighter, cleaner vocals on this record compared to the last one. This record really has something for everyone. And we like to feel it's a statement that, you know, metalcore is still alive. It's in Australia uh, and and it's, it's right here. Braden. Just we, over the past sort of 18 months, we, we really put our heart and soul into this and, and I, I'd love to have at least one person listen to it and just think, you know, this is, this is changing. This is making me want to pick up an instrument mm -hmm. and, and investigate the genre more as a whole. And if we have that impact on one person, I'll, I'll be happy. So there you have it. The last word there belonging to Braden Dawson from The Ascended. The other partner on that conversation was Matt Whale from the group Matt is the band's vocalist and guitarist and Braden is the group's bassist. The catalyst, of course, was the release of the new album from the group for 2021 titled The Dark. It'll be out on September 17. If you like that chat and you want to hear many more very similar, go across to scarsandguitars.com. I also post reviews. I've got some blog entries and very soon my books shall be available. Do look out for that. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast series. Until next time, it is goodbye for now. <laughs>